The next day dawned sunless, heavy with the threat of rain, as Ethelred performed the prescribed rituals of mourning for his dead son. His mind was filled with thoughts as black as the sullen skies, thoughts that sprang not from grief, but from rage. Grief, he told himself, was a sentiment of little use to him, better to howl than to weep. Better to channel his fury toward a pitiless god and the vengeful shade of a murdered king than to mourn for the innocent dead. Both heaven and hell, he was certain, had cursed him, the bitter fruit of ancient sins. He had witnessed the murder of his brother, the king, had raised neither voice nor hand to prevent it, had taken a crown that should not have been his. For those wrongs, his brother's cruel shadow continued to torment him, despite all that he had done to lay the loathsome spirit to rest. Eckbert's death was yet another sign that Edward's hand, or God's, was raised against him. Shrines and churches, prayers and penance had not brought him peace. He was still dogged by misfortune. Now he understood that the price of forgiveness was far too high. God and Edward demanded his kingdom and his crown, and that was a price he would not pay. As he knelt within the cold heart of the royal chapel, he made a solemn vow. He would defy heaven. He would defy hell, too, and anything else living or dead that sought to break his grasp upon his throne, for he was of the royal house of Serdic. Never had his forebears relinquished their claim to kingship until the moment that each took his final breath, and neither would he. If a king was not a king, then he was nothing. By mid-afternoon, the storm had dissipated, but when the household assembled for the day's main meal, Ethelred still seethed with a brooding rage that he directed toward the god who had turned against him. He took his place upon the dais and nodded brusquely to Abbot Alfwerd, seated at his right hand to give the blessing. A commotion at the bottom of the hall, though, drew his attention to the screen's passage. There a tall figure stepped through the curtained doorway, cloaked all in black, and with the long white beard of an Old Testament prophet, Archbishop Wolfstan strode with measured step toward the high table. Here, then. Ethelred thought, was God's answer to his earlier vow of defiance. Like some carrion crow, Wolfstan, Bishop of Worcester, Archbishop of Jorvik, had come to croak God's word at him. Like the rest of his household, he stood up as the Archbishop advanced, but Wolfstan's progress was pointedly slow, and he leaned heavily upon his crozier as he made his way to the dais sketching crosses in the air over the bowed heads of the assembly. The old man was weary, Ethelred thought, unusual for Wolfstan, who usually had the vigour of a rutting stallion, a vigour that he dedicated to his king's service, he admitted grudgingly, as well as to God's. What was it that had driven him so hard today? Was it Eckbert's death, or did he bring news of some further calamity? Emma, he saw, was already rounding the table to present the welcome cup before kneeling in front of the archbishop for his blessing. Wolfstan passed his crozier and then the cup to a waiting servant.
took the queen's hands in his and bent his head close to hers to speak a private word. Ethelred watched, irritated. Wolfstan had always been Emma's champion. Indeed, most of England's high clergy had been seduced by his pious queen. Beside him, Abbot Alfwed, who knew his place well enough, scuttled off the dais to make way for his superior, and Ethelred knelt in his turn as the archbishop offered a prayer over his royal head. When the prelate had cleansed his hands and the prayer of thanksgiving had been said at last, the company sat down to eat. After glancing with distaste at the Lenten fare of eel soup and bread that was set before him, Ethelred pushed the food away and turned to the archbishop. May as well hear what the man had come to say, he thought, and be done with it. Do you come to console me?